The Recovery Greenhouse is a podcast dedicated to the growth of ideas, concepts, and outlooks that support recovery and recovering communities. I am Gerald Lott, your host, a person in long-term recovery, and I'm also founder and executive director of Sauk Valley Voices of Recovery. We're a recovery community organization serving Northwest Illinois. I'm a certified recovery support specialist, entrepreneur, father, and after a long list of careers, I found my calling in helping others find recovery. I work with many, many people and several addiction-related advisory boards every day, and my core belief is that people must make an effort to change their lives for recovery. There's a saying, no pain, no gain, and it's exactly correct. A person cannot experience significant life changes without enduring, accepting, and often welcoming discomfort. It isn't the change that hurts, it's our resistance to it. You know, I, um, I've been doing this podcast for the better part of a year now. We've got almost 35 episodes up and um, I've met some really amazing people and I, I, I hope that you who have followed this and listened have found value in these conversations. Um, I, from time to time, reach back into the uh, the treasure chest, so to speak, that was our Project Open Tuesday Talk series. And all of these Tuesday Talk uh, video podcasts can be found on YouTube. Just look them up under the Project Open. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm excited to bring these to you because this new audience that we found Uh, needs to hear all these amazing conversations that occurred just, uh, you know, a couple years ago. So uh, to start, uh, this season's first Tuesday talk will be a conversation between uh, Akil Khan, who at the time was the director of Project Open, the HRSA grant that uh, came into our community for three years to find solutions and, and uh, techniques to fight the opioid uh, epidemic. And then um, he had a conversation with Jan Burks, uh, owner and founder of Jan Burks Consulting. She's a licensed clinical social worker, a licensed chemical dependency counselor, a speaker, an author. Um, and she had some really amazing uh, insights on peer work and peer support. So, um, with no further ado, I, I give you the Tuesday talk recorded by Akil Khan with his guest, Jam Burks. Hello, and welcome to Tuesday Talks. My name is Akil Khan, the director of Project Open. Project Open is a $1 million federally funded HRSA grant aimed at the opioid epidemic, but we have since launched and kind of focusing at broader substance use disorders. And substance use disorders can take many different forms from drugs to alcohol. Um, We focus in three main areas, prevention, treatment, and recovery. September is recovery month, so it's only apt that we do a recovery-themed Tuesday talk today. Uh, Today with us, we have Jan Burks. Uh, Jan is a licensed chemical dependency counselor and a licensed clinical social worker specializing in mental health and substance use. She's worked in the field of addiction services and mental illness for over 13 years and is the owner and CEO of Jay Burks Consulting. Jan is in long-term recovery from opioid use disorder, and she recently joined two pretty key teams focusing on opioid addiction, which we'll get into a little bit later today. Her work has been uh, focused in supporting individuals and family members in their pursuit to recover from 
addiction and mental health disorders and finding ways to you know, help individuals recover in general. She's also a certified master life coach and a substance use professional with the Department of Transportation. When Jan's not working with clients, you can find her volunteering in her community um, and in her church. She's also an author and speaker. And I had the privilege of being able to join one of Jan's um, talks at a conference, uh, Cyrano Action Summit. Uh, it was a virtual conference. And when I heard Jan speak, it was very clear that we needed to have Jan come talk on, on, our, on our Tuesday talk platform. So Jan, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you have a very busy schedule and we really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Thank you so much, Akil. It's really good to be here and I appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, thank you. And so, you know, Jan, you, you've got a, a lot of credentials. Um, talk to us a little bit about your LCSW or LCDC, kind of what made you go get those and, and, and how that helps you today. Yeah, so actually I'm in recovery almost 14 years. And so when I went into recovery, I felt like I needed to reach back and help and do something. So I went back to school and I completed my associate's degree in clinical counseling and psychology. And then I got my bachelor's degree in psychology. And then I went ahead and got my master's degree in social work. So that's what brought me to this point. Very, very nice. Um, you know, I work a lot with the local recovery community organization, and they say that it's pretty, pretty uh, common that when people enter in recovery and once they get into stable recovery, it's, it's you know, they want to find ways to give back and help back. Kind of, would you mind talking to us about your journey, you know, pre-recovery and now post-recovery and kind of you know, why is Jan an expert in this, in, in, in our peer support area that we're about to talk about? Sure. So once I got into the field, which I've been in almost 14 years, the same amount of time that I've been clean and sober, I just felt the need, you know, to help somebody who was going through what I had already been through and to offer them hope and to show them that recovery is possible. So many of the agencies that I worked with had peer support specialists. And I learned a lot uh, during that time working with uh, groups and individuals and peers. And I kind of noticed that there was a difference, actually a big difference between professional treatment and peer support. And I would overhear conversations with peers and their clients uh, and then conversations with therapists and their clients. And as a therapist, uh, sometimes I would actually cringe at the conversation because peers to me were just raw. They were more down to earth, more authentic and more real. And they were able to talk to their clients in a different way than therapists are able to. So that's another thing that kind of got me interested, you know, because I feel like that I, I'm a, a real person. I don't know how not to be Jan and how not to let my lived experience um, come out. So that was one of the advantages that I thought that peers had over therapists. Jen, if, if we could um, kind of just talk about it a little bit more broadly, maybe there's some folks out there that aren't familiar with it, but if, if you don't mind, just it's kind of might be inference from the name, but you know, what is peer support? and are there any different names for peer support that people might see or read around there that would kind of mean the same thing? Sure. Yeah. First of all, peer support is an evidence-based practice, meaning that scientific research has been done 
and peer support services have been proven to work for most people. And so what peer support is, their activities and interactions between people who have shared experiences. And since today we're looking at peer support through the lens of substance use disorder and mental illness, it would be a person who has had a similar experience in substance use disorder or mental illness. So some of the different names that I'll be using for peer support are peer support specialists, peer support advocates, peer recovery coaches. So all those names are interchangeable. So I may use one today, I may use a different one another day, but they all mean the same. So there's just different names used for the same thing. So it's kind of like um, a mentor. Is it, would that be kind of the more common term for it then? So like you mentioned someone who's had that experience, who's been through it, who's walked the path and can relate to someone um, and ultimately help them with their, with their recovery journey. Yes, they could definitely be referred to as mentors for sure. And a lot of them are mentors in different agencies. So, but today we're going to kind of focus in on the peer support, but it's basically the same thing as a mentor. Yes. Perfect. So tell me, why should people care? Why is it important? Why should every area try to invest in peer support when it comes to recovery from substance use or, uh, you know, mental illness or as we like to call it, brain health conditions? Mm -hmm. Because actually uh, peer support helps the clients in a different way than any other service does. There are a lot of clients who may be resistant to services, but if they have a peer, someone who can walk alongside them, someone who's been through something that they've been through, then they're more relatable, you know, because I've had situations where when a person found out that I was in long-term recovery from substance use disorder and mental illness, it's sort of like they just relaxed <laughs> and they just like took a deep breath and said, okay, wow. So I just noticed that there's a huge difference and someone who has the lived experience, they can have empathy for that person. Yeah. So that's one reason why it's really important. So for peer support, you mentioned peer support specialists, kind of what's the typical role? I mean, is it like pen pal, best friend, everyday talking? Is it a monthly, weekly interaction? I mean, what kind of skills are needed to be a, a, a peer support advocate specialist or a peer, peer support coach? Yeah, excellent question. So I would say there are quite a few roles that the peer specialist plays and they would be understanding. Okay, that's a role. Uh, empathy would be a role. A non-judgmental attitude, that would be a role. Hey Jan, I, I, I don't know if it cut out for you, but it just cut off for me. I, the last thing I heard was understanding. They need to be understanding. Could you please jump back for a second? Sorry about that. That's okay, sure. So after understanding, I said empathy. Empathy. They have to have empathy for the person, uh, a non-judgmental attitude, right? They have to have uh, resources that they can share, right? They have to be able to assist the person in finding and following their own recovery path, because that's the bottom line. The bottom line is recovery. Mm -hmm. 
So the, the role is to help that person find their road to recovery. You mentioned that they need to be able to share resources. Any example of what you mean by resources? Sure. So a lot of times peer support have already gone through the process mm -hmm. that their client is going through. So a lot of times they know more about what's available in the community than some of the agencies do. And they have firsthand experience. You know, they can help direct the client to resources such as housing, uh, medical aid, legal aid, uh, groups, you know, therapy, all sorts of resources. Many times, again, the peer support specialist knows about these things. And even if they haven't experienced them personally, they have learned these uh, resources or gotten these resources from other clients. So it's like an educational process too. Yeah, no, that, 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 that makes, uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, so when I heard you talk, Jen, in, in the conference that you and I met in, you, had, you, you made a saying that really stuck with me, that oftentimes, and it's evidence-based and research has shown that peer support is oftentimes as effective, if not more effective than professional treatment. Can you talk a little bit more about that statement and but then still talk about, you know, when and where professional treatment is needed and when and when peer support might not be appropriate, if at all? Right, right. So with peer support and professional treatment, the message is the same, but it's just a different way to get there. Okay. So I, I want to talk a little bit about maybe the differences and then the similarities. Sure. So let's think about peer support for a minute. So with peer support, that can be one-on-one -on -one or individual. It can also be group peer support. The same with professional therapy. Mm -hmm. It could be individual or group. Uh, an advantage of peer support is that many times the peers are able to get the person away from a clinical location. And also uh, they can spend more time with the person. They're not like on the clock. And, you know, in therapy, of course, you know, if you're 55 or 60 minutes is up, you know, basically it's up, yeah. you know, and it makes a person kind of feel like they're rushed. Right. Whereas peer support to me is more informal. It's more relaxed. Like I was saying earlier about the conversation with the client and the peer as related to how I think the conversation should have went with the therapist. Mm hmm. You know, we therapists, I'm telling you, we are really cognizant of ethical boundaries and what's to say and what not to say. And peers, basically, after they build a rapport with the client, they can basically let it rip, you know, because. Yeah. Well, so, you know, you're kind of in a unique position because you have lived experience. You are a peer support, but then you are an LCSW and an LCDC. It, how has that helped you? And how has that kind of made it sometimes maybe challenging to you know, switch from treatment hat to, to peer support hat? Or do they kind of work really, I'm assuming they work well together. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, do, does every peer support, let's start with, does every peer support specialist, most of them, do they have an LCSW or usually not? Usually not. Yeah. So most of the ones that I work with um, don't have a master's degree. But see, that's the interesting part right there is that 
So how can someone without a degree have a higher impact on somebody than a therapist, you know? And it's all about that connection, Akil. Yeah. You talked about it on that call, the summit that day. That's the main thing, that connection. We need connection with people. So when somebody listens to your story and, and they feel that thing, you know, it makes a world of difference. Not to say that therapists haven't had lived experiences either, because as you just said, I'm a therapist and I've had the lived experience. But yeah, sometimes I have to take one hat off and put another hat on. Yeah. And so that's also when the uh, life coaching comes in handy too. Because with the life coaching, I could be a more more relaxed with that. Do you ever find it difficult to switch hats? Like you, oh, know, yeah. you ever start to go into treatment mode when you need to be in pure support mode or vice versa? Yeah, sometimes I have to catch myself. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you are a, a, a pretty rare breed of both. I'm I mean, like your clients, I'm, I'm assuming are, are very fortunate to have you, which then, you know, which would bring me to, you know, what's kind of been your experience in the space? And you, know, you have any success stories that you might want to share or any lessons learned throughout the process? Oh, yeah, I have a beautiful story to share. And it happened quite recently. So I had a client and I've had him for about a year. And he was having issues with personal hygiene. It was just really, really difficult for his team to get him to take care of that. And I'm telling you, I couldn't do it as his substance use disorder counselor. His recovery manager, which is different from a recovery coach, couldn't do it. Psychiatrists couldn't do it. Staff couldn't do it. Nobody could do it until he came upon a peer support. Listen, when she came on the scene, all of a sudden, this client made a drastic change in his hygiene. And I'm telling you, I was just, my mouth was hung down. I was just like, what on earth did you do? What did you say? And he had the most, he had a smile on his face I had never seen. And it was just a totally different person. And the thing about it, Akil, she did it in such a smooth way. It was no big deal the way she did it. You know, just, it was amazing. I mean, I think it boils back to what you just mentioned, right? The connection. Everyone else tried, 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 maybe didactically, academically, through what research might have shown. But she probably just came down and connected and all the layers of the onion peeled back. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the saying again that we keep going back to in this Tuesday talk is from Johan Hari. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Uh, mm -hmm. the, yeah, right. And so um, that's kind of uh, seems like that's what she was probably able to do in that in that situation. Yeah. And another thing, too, is that a lot of time, you know, before COVID came about, peers, I mean, they didn't think a second thought about putting the client in their car, taking them to the grocery store, taking them to the movies, taking them out. But, you know, now we have to be careful about that. But she did that. She put him in a car and she took him to the barbershop. I mean, he didn't even resist, you know, but I think it may be too, because she's like, on the way home, we'll stop by the store, get you some snacks. That's awesome. That's awesome. So we, we here locally have a number of treatment providers, a number of professional agencies, but then through Project Open, we've been able to start a recovery community organization 
Sauk Valley Voices of Recovery. They're building peer education specialists, peer support specialists, uh, hiring recovery coaches, um, and 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 they're looking at you know the, the the support groups, right? So, you know, any advice or any insight or history with the peer-led support groups in this area? I think that peer-led support groups are really really important because. In agencies, what they can do is they can offer their services as far as running groups, facilitating groups. Um, they can be mentors. You know, they can help educate um, the agencies and their staff on how to communicate with the clients, especially if the client is resistant, mm -hmm. because many times um, staff just really kind of not sure on how to approach somebody who's resistant, but see a peer, once the peer has built rapport with that person, they, they know the person and they know what works for them. They know how to talk to them. We have to just remember that we're all human. You know, we can't look at a, another person as, you know, an addict or, you know, crazy. We have to change that language. And I'm not saying that agencies use, you know, that negative language. But we have to be very, very cognizant of the language that we do use. For instance, addict. Just say a person living with addiction mm -hmm. or a person suffering with addiction. Right. That the addict negative connotation is strong. Yes. Yes. It was a very interesting uh, kind of uh, study they did. I think there was a jury or a clinician or a group of clinicians. They presented the exact same case. But in one, they put a person with substance use disorder and in the other one, they put a person with addiction and the, 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 the feedback to the one on addiction was a lot more punitive and a lot more harsh, like the next steps versus the one that said substance use disorder. So you, you nailed it. The language is key. Mm -hmm. And that's where that stigma, too, comes in. You know, we have to learn how to reduce the stigma. And I think with a peer, the peer can kind of bring that to people's attention. You know, because sometimes we're not intentional about hurting somebody. Mm -hmm. It's just what we learn to say and what we've heard, you know. Right. So a peer is really important in kind of turning that thing around because they've been there. Right. They, they know how probably, it feels. Exactly. Knows how it feels. Right. Treat others the way you want to be treated. A peer was probably had someone like yourself may have been may have had negative interactions in the past. So you're very aware of to not do that and replicate that for some for somebody mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, words, you know, words hurt. Yeah. They say sticks and stones may break my bone, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. No, <laughs> I was just thinking about that saying. <laughs> you know, Jan, the, the question that I have is so for far too long, and you know, and I'm just going to talk about our area. We've really been treatment focused, um, professional support and you know, professional therapy, and all that focused. And now you have this new age of um, you know people coming out, people getting help. I mean, peer support's been around for a long time, but recovery community organizations and you know, these to me are a little bit newer. How can a professional setting, a clinical setting, a behavioral health treatment provider partner effectively with peers to ultimately benefit the patient the best? Like what would be the strategies you'd recommend? Yeah, I would definitely recommend that professionals link up with a peer or link the client up with a peer because a lot of times the peer can offer the professional feedback. Mm you know, and, and on how to communicate, how to deal with the person. You know, they could just offer that level of communication that maybe they hadn't even thought about, yeah. you know. 
And I think, uh, as I said before, there are different roads to recovery, right? So if peer support is just another way to recover, why not? Everybody has a different path, mm-hmm. you know, and peer support peers are not there to tell that person what to do, how to do it, when to do it. They're there to help them to figure that out. Yeah. But if the person gets stuck and needs to get unstuck, then the peer can offer recommendations, of course. But we're not there to just tell them, oh, here's the rules. Here's the requirements. Here's the law. We lay down the law. Right. No, that's what makes peer support unique. It's not so much hand-holding, but more so that larger mentorship, right? Yeah. And, you know, something that we're working on here locally is a recovery-friendly workplace. Mm-hmm. And in that, we are doing training to the employers. And, you know, and we're building that training right now. We have a, a workforce development group that's working on that training. And part of it is a, is what we've learned is that, hey, you know, someone in recovery, they might have, diff- you know, transportation might be a barrier. They might be late to work sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or at work, they might, you know, some days might be harder than other days. And how would the manager work with that person? Well, one of the ideas was a recovery coach. That they could work with the recovery coach. The recovery coach can work with the peer support. They work as a team to ensure that that person is needs are being met and that, you know, we don't jump to any punitive actions right out of the gate because that recovery coach can bridge between the manager who's on the outside kind of without the lived experience to the person who's in recovery. That that peer support is key in, in, in translating and helping both parties find, you know, positive solutions. Yeah, I think that's an awesome point of view because, you know, again, you know, the person who's been through that, they understand the barriers when somebody else might not even really think about it. You know, the barriers that could stop them from getting the help. Mm -hmm. And so I like to tell a quick story about when I was interviewed for a job right after I went into recovery. I was interviewed for a job at a mental health facility. And in the interview, they asked all these questions about your mental health and your substance abuse. I'm like, what? But see, that's the only interview I have ever been where I said yes to all those questions. Yes, I was an addict. Yes, yes, yes. That got me the job. Wow. <laughs> Usually people hide the stigma, right? They hide that. They, they you know, don't want to bring that out in fear of, fear of, you know, being reprimanded. So it's a pretty unique flip side of the coin, right? Yes, yes. And see, I think that's where peer support comes in. Just acknowledging that. I mean, these agencies need this. They need the services. And that's kind of the whole idea behind Tuesday Talk is that to have that conversation. So someone out there can hear this, someone out there can hear, you know, a different Tuesday Talk. And, 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 and those who are not as familiar might then at least change the way they think about it, talk mm-hmm. about it, which would then over time hopefully make it a more normalized conversation. Because right now it is very taboo and Mm-hmm. Don't stay away. Don't talk about that. Don't talk mm-hmm. about your addiction. Don't talk about your problems. But if we don't talk about it, how do we make it better? That's right. We have to bring it out. We have to embrace that because if we don't embrace it, we won't heal from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, Jan, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, kind of what what project you're from the Texas area, right? Yes, Fort Worth. Great, yeah, Fort Worth, Texas, and so. Kind of what what are the projects going on over there? What what are you working on down there in this area that we that other areas might be able to you know think about and possibly replicate or? So I live in a community. It's called Stop Six. S T O P, the number six, and where they came from is that 
my community was the sixth stop that the train took from going from Fort Worth to Dallas. It was a sixth stop, stop six. And it is a cultural district and we are renovating, revamping, changing our community. And so I'm also a clinician at Urban Village Family Services, which is literally three minutes from my house in my car. So it's in my community. And that's one reason I kill that I moved back to my community is to help with the mental illness and the addiction problems that we're having here. And I feel like I, I moved back for a purpose. So uh, I am the clinician at Urban Village Family Services. So we had uh, the Stop Six Projects. We just tore the projects down and they've been around a long, long time. And we tore them down to the ground and the families were given vouchers to move to different areas. And uh, I think 30 of the families were committed to come to Urban Village Family Services where they can get help finding jobs, they can get help you know, with training and also uh, as a clinician, we can offer help with mental illness and substance abuse. So that's one of the things that's going on in my community. Uh, another thing is that uh, I'm a member of the Historic Stop Six Neighborhood Association. I'm actually the treasurer and I love it because, you know, as a leader in the community, we have a say so. We get to say, you know, what are you going to build here? You know, what are, what you're building, is it going to help the community? Is it right. going to provide jobs in the community? Mm -hmm. So it's stuff like that, that really, really, uh, that I enjoy. I enjoy doing because it's helping my community. So when I was first moved here, I was built a house here and I was here every day. I killed with the builders. I think I got on their nerves, <laughs> but one day, I was backing out of my driveway on my street. And I'm telling you, this street where I live on now, there was needles up and down the street, people having sex in cars. It was like that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I was backing out of my driveway and I looked in my rearview mirror and there was a man walking down the street and he was having a whole conversation with himself. Sure. And so when I saw that, it occurred to me, this is why you're here to offer this man help and resources. He he may not know where to go, what to do. And I could say to him too, I'm a peer. Been there, done that. I don't know about walking down the street like that, but <laughs> I have talked to myself. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, that's the part of the community that I love. I love helping my people. We need, we need more people like you, Jen. I know there's a lot out there. We've had a lot on the Tuesday talk and, and just with the work that you do and kind of the perspective you lend um, is, is is very unique. And, and so, you know, the title of the talk, Recovery is Possible Through Peer Support. Um, it's very important then that people who want to enter recovery try to find an agency, an RCO, or someone mm -hmm. who can help them find those resources, get connected, mm -hmm. and just be that shoulder to cry on, that ear to listen mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. and just that 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 support to, to get through because, you know, Talk about a little bit about your journey in recovery. I'm assuming that early stages were probably some of the hardest, right? And did it get easier over time or is it still hard or is it easy now? I mean, you know, I, I tell my clients all the time, I cannot even count the times with my hands and feet of the times I tried to stop using 
I tried to get clean and sober, you know, but it got to the point where I was sick and tired of being yeah. sick and tired. Mm -hmm. It got to the point where I was just like, you know what, this is my bottom. Uh, I don't want my bottom to be the grave. So when I realized that I was at my bottom, that's when, you know, I woke and um, made some changes in my life and, and vowed that I would never go back. You know, I hear people say, never say never. Oh, I will say never. Mm -hmm. I will say never. I'm saying it right now. Never. Good. You know? Nice. <laughs> I love it. Because that's how I stay clean and sober with language like that. It starts, it starts in the mind first. If you, th if you think it, you can achieve it. That's right. That's right. Awesome. So I, I know I want to offer hope to those who feel hopeless and helpless. Yeah. And I tell them, you know what? I don't look like what I've been through. I don't look like what I've been through, but I have some stories. Yeah. You know? But thank God that I'm here. I'm alive and I'm grateful for being sober, clean and sober for almost 14 years. They, um, gosh, I had, I had something in my hand. I, I just, I just lost it. So. It's because I'm talking so much. No, no. You, you, you just said something that was, <laughs> man, it, it made me think of something that I wanted to share, but must, uh, maybe it'll come back. Yeah. I, I wanted to, um, you know, get any closing thoughts or any ideas you have on peer support or any of the things we talked about today, any words of wisdom, um, you know, Closing remarks, I suppose. Yes, yes. I just can't emphasize how important peer support is because there are people out there who will not go to therapy. There are people out there who will not go to counseling. But if they have peer support, that may be the ticket. Yeah. You know, so why not try it? Yeah. I love it. Um, you know, you know, one of the big things we do over here at Project Open, a lot of our projects are focused on giving people who don't have a voice, a voice. Mm -hmm. And we've sat with chief medical officers, chief nursing officers, pharmacists, doctors, anesthesiologists, licensed clinical social workers. And we've sat around a table brainstorming solutions. And it's been the person with lived experience in the room who says, I, I love what you did. I love what you said. But let me just share this bit with you. And it's like, I mean, they just cha totally changed the game. That voice is huge. So you know, I guess I know you would, I think you'd stand by the statement. If you are with lived experience, if you're in recovery, please speak up, please join those local community coalitions. Your perspective mm -hmm. is unparalleled. We have literally designed an entire project and have someone with lived experience say, that's not going to work. This is how it should work. Mm -hmm. And we change the whole plan just because what they say makes perfect sense. But we just, you know, some, sometimes we just don't think that way. Yeah. You know, academics and researchers who are trying to build programs. So, And I love that name peer advocate too. Because as a peer advocate, which is the same as peer support, mm -hmm. you teach the client to advocate for themselves, right. to speak up for themselves, you know, because like you say, a lot of them, they don't feel like they're being listened to anyway. So why say anything? Why go to treatment? They're not going to listen to me. So that advocacy is a key piece of the recovery. You got to start loving yourself, mm -hmm. you know, and have compassion for yourself where you're able to speak up and say, this is what I need. This is what I want. That, that assertive communication. 
I, I can't think of a better way to, to, to end the Tuesday talk right over there, right? Um, um, Jan, again, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Um, your, your, your perspective and your experience is very unique, but also very common. And um, we, we appreciate you joining us today. And um, again, Project Open is, is focusing on those three domains, prevention, treatment, and recovery. Recovery today, September's recovery month. So we hope to continue the recovery trend. Next week, we should have another recovery event, uh, another recovery-related topic. And this weekend, upcoming weekend, is RecoverCon. So for those listening, uh, check, it, check it out. RecoverCon is coming up. Jan was hopefully was trying to join us for that, but had some prior engagement. So we got her on the Tuesday talk instead. Um, but maybe next year, Jan, we might see you at RecoverCon 2022. I hope so. Thank you so much, Akia, for being such a gracious host. Now, thank you for your, your being gracious with your time and your story. And um, everyone, I hope you all have a wonderful day. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, guys, I hope you found value in that conversation. I know I did. Those um, those are two incredible people, and, and, and I really enjoy hearing what they have to say um as as always you know the point of this this podcast and radio show is to let people know that there's a big big world of help out there there's there's a lot of people out here moving around trying to figure out ways to help people with their uh, addiction or or substance use disorder and if you're one of those people and need help please, please, please reach out. Um, I can't say it enough. Do not suffer alone. If you if you have to, go to the police department, go to the hospital, go to your church, go to your neighbor, go to your friends, or if you can't find anybody that'll listen, call us at uh, 779-707-0151. You can also look us up on our website, svvor.org. Um, you know, we, we're just we're just people like you. You know, I'm I'm a person in long term recovery, but you know, it wasn't very long ago, 16 years ago, that I was in the exact same place, and and so I I, I know what you're going through, and I know how hard it is sometimes to ask for help. Um, this podcast is produced by me, so sometimes it's pretty good, sometimes it's pretty crummy to be honest with you but hey we're doing our best and and you know even if we don't have the technique i think we have the message and and i hope you got something out of it so um i want to say thank you to slang music group i want to say thank you to my team here at salt valley voices of recovery uh thank you to all of the people that support us in our events and and um the partner agencies the police departments and hospitals and schools and and probation departments that work with us on a daily basis um thank you to you people that come and ask for help and trust us and and allow us to provide you with peer support and social activities um so until next time uh take care